Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. Hello and welcome to this final episode of Word on the Street for 2020, a truly challenging year in so very many ways. I'm Phil Attreed, Barclays Head of Investment Consulting, and today I'm joined once again by Hal Ran Wee, one of our senior investment strategists, as we take a brief look at the key news headlines as the investment markets really just head into uh, the end of this year. So Hal Ran, on Christmas Eve, um, you and I uh, caught up. There was obviously a trade deal that was finally agreed between um, the UK and the EU, and we've actually, just as, as we record this, seen the UK House of Commons overwhelmingly back um, that Brexit trade um, deal. So I suppose, firstly, you know, what was the immediate reaction from UK markets in response to that trade deal? And number two, maybe if you can just give some very high level sort of view of the key details and what this, I suppose, really means for the UK from an economic standpoint uh, as we head into next year. Sure. So the market reaction has been relatively muted. We did see some of the Brexit-sensitive assets like cable and FTSE 250 rise in the back of the news, but uh, it wasn't a significant jump. So it seems to align with the view that coming into December, uh, investors were already pricing in a high likelihood that a last-minute deal would be signed. Uh, Essentially, the deal right now guarantees uh, tariff-free trade on most goods between the UK and the EU, which means that it would avoid a scenario where EU and UK trade uh, fall back to the tariffs and quotas foreseen under basic WTO rules. So such a no-deal scenario was indeed widely feared by businesses for seriously disrupting trade, potentially creating chaos in the borders, and possibly even resulting in shortages of uh, essential goods and higher prices, at least initially. Uh, however, it's important to note that uh, the UK here will still leave the European Single Market and Customs Union. So this means not only a hard customs and regulatory border, but also the exit from the single market for financial services. Uh, This Brexit is still, from a trading perspective, one of the hardest possible outcomes from the UK and uh, will result in deep adjustments in the way businesses and production uh, are organized, which we think would ultimately weigh on long-term growth uh, due to the extra trade uh, uh, frictions this will bring up with our largest trading partner. Uh, Near term, the main relevance of the trade deal is that it removes the tail risk of a chaotic no-deal exit on the 1st of Jan and many months of uncertainty. Uh, as helpful as that as it is, however, uh, any marginal benefit of a deal is already going to be largely overshadowed by the ongoing disruptions from coronavirus and the Tier 4 restrictions. So uh, moving into 2021, the cyclical outlook for the UK economy is going to be uh, definitely dominated by public health considerations, how well we can contain this third wave, how quickly we can vaccinate the population and so forth, rather than Brexit itself. Absolutely. And of course, again, we sort of await further news on tears over the coming um, days. But I suppose in, with um, coronavirus sort of very much front centre of people's minds, this morning we did get some good news around the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. We saw that approved um, for use and, and surely that should be welcomed. Yes, it's very welcome indeed. Uh Initially, there were questions over some puzzling details in the late-stage trials. Uh, for example, the trials displayed a higher efficacy rate for patients with single doses compared to those who took a double dose. But uh, 
subsequent peer reviews from the regulator and the medical establishment have indeed confirmed uh, that the vaccine is going to be effective. Uh, the main advantages of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine or the Pfizer one currently being administered uh, is that it's cheaper to manufacture while also being easier to store and distribute. And so the logistical advantages of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine makes it a critical part of the UK government's aims to uh, vaccinate a substantial proportion of the UK population, numbering in the tens of millions by springtime. So uh, today's approval will greatly accelerate the vaccine rollout uh, next year, uh, thus bringing forward the recovery timeline for us. So uh, hopefully by 2021, we can actually have a more concrete victory against uh, coronavirus itself. Something I think both us and markets and our listeners will be following very, very closely over the coming weeks, I'm sure. Um, talking about deals more broadly, obviously we had Brexit, but um, you know there has also been quite an important deal um, on the US side of things. Uh, we did see a new fiscal stimulus deal being reached by US um, regulators, legislators um, last week. Again, there is still sort of news bubbling around there. Um, I think in terms of the potential to increase the the checks that might um, be sent out to uh, members of the public in in the US. Maybe if you can just elaborate on that deal and and, and what further we should be looking out for as we head into the new year. Yes. um, So it's probably helpful to start with the uh, sort of background in this. So back in spring, when the pandemic was just starting to take hold in the US, uh, the US enacted new fiscal stimulus measures to support the economy. So some of these measures include, uh, for example, high unemployment benefits, uh, loans to support small businesses, and uh, cash handouts to households. Uh, These policies uh, have been quite successful, actually. They've been shown to provide some relief to households, uh, particularly those within the lower income range and the more vulnerable ones. Uh, However, some of these measures have now expired. So the Emergency policies enacted in uh, back in spring were not actually designed to protect the economy through a, pro- a protracted crisis like uh, what we're seeing now. They were more designed to act as a very short-term temporary stopgap uh, for a relatively short lockdown. Uh, but that's not the case right now. So this new fiscal relief package will indeed extend these measures, uh, albeit to a small extent. Uh, right now, the Democrats and the White House are calling for the fiscal relief package to be sized up, but that seems likely to be voted down uh, by the Republican majority Senate. Uh, so the way things are, it, it will provide some relief to the U.S. economy, but still far below the level needed to cushion the economic damage uh, caused by the pandemic itself. Quite. It's really about those vaccines and how fast we can sort of see things maybe getting back to uh, some semblance of normality. I mean, one sort of concern that's often raised to us um, from from clients and investors is this sort of repeated round of fiscal stimulus um, that that's been required not just in the US but also in the UK and Europe as well you know leads to ever higher debt for these countries you know do do we feel I know you've touched on it before but you know to what extent do we feel that these concerns are maybe fair or, or you know, are they possibly a little overstated um, you know, given the way that you know, the world has moved on since the global financial crisis of some sort of decade ago now yeah I do I do think that right now uh, for the short term at, at least uh, these fears are can indeed be overstated uh, so we know that in the longer term there are certain valid concerns about that sustainability. Because sooner or later, these countries will need to undergo a sort of quite painful fiscal adjustments in order to bring their debt ratios back to lower levels that are probably going to be deemed more sustainable from here. 
Uh, nevertheless, in the shorter term, most reasonable economists will tell will tell us that it's still wiser, a lot wiser from a policy perspective to ramp up fiscal stimulus, not to ramp up borrowing for the time being. And there are two good reasons for this. Uh, there are many others, but here are two good reasons. Uh, uh, firstly, uh, interest rates are close to zero right now. So the cost of servicing the extra debt that uh, we're taking on is going to be historically low. And all things constant, this, mean that, this means that governments can uh, actually afford to take on more debt uh, at this time compared to the past. So historical comparisons on, on debt ratios probably aren't going to be uh, analogous right here. Second, uh, it's also easier to reduce the debt ratios in the future if you have a strong economy to start off with. And that means in the short term, right now, we, we, we must use all available measures, including high fiscal spending right now to protect, its, uh, to protect the economy, especially when it's currently at its most vulnerable. So in short, there are valid longer term concerns about that sustainability, but these are going to be, I think, heavily overridden by the necessary priority of supporting the economy now in the short term. Uh, so that in the future, we actually will still have a strong enough economy to pay off that debt uh, for the future generations. Great. Thanks, Haran. And then finally, as we come to the end of 2020, and actually we're seeing a reasonably strong end to the year in terms of financial markets and equities having a fairly good you know, period, uh, you know, last few weeks to the year. Um, you know, as we head into 2021, what will your team be looking out for next? Yeah, so, um, so as 2020 has taught us, uh, you know, forecast, forecasting the future is a mux game. Uh, when I recall back to exactly a year ago, uh, I, I didn't know of anyone actually calling for a pandemic that will put large parts of the global economy into lockdown for so long. And I'm sure that uh, just as 2020 uh, had for us, uh, 2021 will bring its own surprises. So ultimately, it's important to be humble about what we know and how much we can indeed forecast the future accurately from here, especially for investment purposes. Now, for what it's worth, where where we stand now, we think the pace and the timeline of vaccinations are going to be the key driver for how the global economy and markets will do next year. Uh, our base case outlook is for a sufficiently large population of the developed economies to be vaccinated by next summer to achieve uh, the so-called necessary herd immunity. And thus, this will hopefully drive a strong upturn in activity and corporate earnings uh, from there on. That being said, though, as, as you said, um, looking at how stock markets are moving over the past, uh, the past few months, uh, I think a large amount of this is already priced in by stock markets because this is information that all of us know already. So if you look at valuations, for example, uh, I think a strong uptick in corporate earnings is already being anticipated by investors for next year. So from an investment perspective, uh, I think the risk-reward on offer here from global stock markets, at least, is going to be more or less balanced uh, from here, despite the stronger growth that we might still see next year. So very much back to the uh, usual hard work of trying to sort of uh, eke out those returns and spot the opportunities, uh, of which I'm sure there are still plenty, as Will is often uh, often heard to remind us um, on, on these calls in terms of potential future uh, in ingenuity and innovation. Um, thanks, Halran, for the update today. That just leaves me to wish our listeners a very enjoyable few days as we head into the new year. And we, of course, look forward to being back with you uh, for our regular weekly slot from next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.